The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Good morning, Bromley Town Church. It is good to see you all again. We have been talking about the church, the church not just locally, but the church throughout the nations, and what our church needs to be in that. Um, Let's turn right off the bat to the book of Revelations, where it gives us a picture of what the church is when it gets to heaven. Revelations chapter 7, verse 4 through 8. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Gad, from the tribe of Asher, from the tribe of Naphtali, from the tribe of Manasseh, from the tribe of Simeon, from the tribe of Levi, from the tribe of Issachar, from the tribe of Zebulun, and from the tribe of Joseph and Benjamin, each tribe having 12,000. So a total of 144,000 people are described as being up in heaven at this moment. To take that into perspective, and this isn't the whole church, this is just the Jewish people, it says, or at least that's what it's symbolizing. You would have to have a huge stadium to fit that many people. In fact, in the UK, there is not a stadium large enough to fit this many people. Wembley Stadium fits about 90,000. If you took the two largest uh, stadiums in Scotland and in Wales, which is the Principality Stadium and the Murrayfield Stadium, together, those two stadiums don't equal 144,000. In the US, we have one large one, Michigan Stadium that fits up to 107,000 people. 107,000 people. There's actually only one stadium, and it's way over North Korea, that can fit this many. The Mayday Stadium, or also known as Rungrado, can fit 150,000 people in it. Now, I'm not sure I'd want to be in that stadium. Uh, just the massive size. You can see how many people can actually fit in it. It is amazing, it's huge. What's interesting in this, and why I bring these pictures out, is because the next verse in Revelations says something amazing to us about the church. So we'll turn to Revelation 7, verses 9 through 12. After the apostle John has counted all these people and recorded them, 144,000, his next line is this. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, every tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and unto his Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. 
They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. What's amazing here is that the church, this group of people that have come through the worst times, the difficulties of the end, stand before the throne of God. They have white robes on that makes them common or similar. But they're from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language. God lays it out that this body is going to be from the complete globe. There's nobody being left out. He's going to reach every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every people. Nobody's left out from the grace of God. And here, this people has come through one of the most difficult times in human history. And they say one voice together. This is a diverse people. They do wear white robes, so they have that in common, but they have one other thing that pulls them together. One unifying cry that reaches before the throne of God. They say this. The moment they reach the throne, together, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and enters Lamb. So the church arises before the Son of God and forced Father. And the first cry that the unified church of God can say is you did it. The only reason we're here is because of you. You pulled us through time and time again. You made it happen. It wasn't our strength. It wasn't our ability. You alone, God, made it happen. Salvation belongs to our God. That is the unifying cry of the church. That our only hope is found in Jesus Christ. And on the great plan of God to bring us all near to the Father. But what's even more amazing is the response of heaven. Ephesians says that the manifold glory or the manifold wisdom of God will be made evident in the heavenly realms through the church. That's part of our calling as a church. Look how heaven responds to the cry of the church before the throne of God. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. That's the first words out of their mouth. They see all humanity. They see us with our mess, our craziness, everything that happens down here as witnesses of it all. And they say, you're right. The only way you made it is because God's salvation he brought you through. He saved you. You are a mess. But he is so good. John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, the song that we sing so frequently in the church, who was a slave trader and repented of the abomination of what he did, said something amazing. He said, I know two things. I know that I am a great sinner and not but, and Christ is a great savior. This is the unifying cry of the church. This is what we need to hold on to, that salvation belongs to our God. He is our answer. Now, Pastor Jonathan has been speaking about reading the word, worshiping our God, developing a personal time with him, that you are seeking to draw near to him and connect with him. 
And that is the only way we're going to make it through and touch the salvation of God. I want to talk about that today, about us coming through and being part of that group that says salvation belongs to our God. Let's turn to the book of John, chapter 15, because we need to know what is our part. If God saves everything and salvation belongs to him, some people can think, oh, well, I don't have anything to do. I just have to kind of coax till he's going to do it all. We do have a role. We do have a, a part to play. And that part is very, very important. If we don't do our part, we can fail to do the work of God. We can fail to accomplish that which will make us joyful before his presence on that great day. John chapter 15, it says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is talking here about a position. We must be connected to the vine. We're the branches and we must be connected. We have to fight for our position of being connected because there are many different positions that you can see throughout the scripture that people held that were not connected to the heart of God, to the will of God, to the voice of God. They looked good on the outside. The world might have applauded them. They might even look good to the religious systems of the day, but they were not the position that brought people through. The first position, I would say, is you could look at um, the saddest, maybe, is at the end of the book of Jeremiah, when the people of Israel have been taken into captivity and there's a small remnant left. They've been saved from this terrible time. And they turn to Jeremiah and they say, hey, we'll do anything you tell us. What is the will of God? What is the will of God? And Jeremiah warns them, hey, if you're seeking the will of God, he's gonna tell you what to do and you better follow him. Are you committed to doing that? And they say, yes, 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 we'll do whatever you do, whatever you say. And then Jeremiah tells him exactly what to do. This is how you can be saved. This is how you can be saved through this difficult time. And they say, no way. That's dangerous. That's not the way we want to go. In fact, it's probably your associate who's your scribe who's working all this out for his good. This is to his benefit, not in our best interest. No way, we're not going to do that. And they know Jeremiah's a prophet. He's the one who prophesied everything about the captivity that happened. And here they are rejecting the word of the Lord that they requested. In their minds, they wanted the will of God. They wanted safety. But in their hearts, they weren't connected to him. They weren't in that trusting relationship that says, okay, God has our best interest. And they went and did their own thing and destruction followed. They were not saved because they rejected the word of the Lord. The next group of people we talk about is in Jesus' day. The Sadducees and the Pharisees. Very quickly, the Sadducees were a group of religious people who would actually started to say, ah, maybe the Bible isn't all that important. Maybe there's not angels. Maybe there's no eternal life. Maybe there's nothing. Maybe just, let's just be good people. The same cry is in our communities today. God has far more for us than just being good people. He wants us to live in a trusting relationship with God Almighty. The Sadducees were so far off they patently rejected Jesus, attacked him, 
came up with legal arguments to try to prove that he wasn't the Son of God. A position matters. Fighting for the position to be connected to the voice of God matters. The Pharisees, very different group of people, same time period, they studied the Word. They did religious acts. They did all kinds of things to be right in their own strength. They did a lot of good things, but they weren't connected with the flow of heaven. They weren't connected with the voice of God. They were doing religion in their own strength. And what does Jesus say to them? He says, oh, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. You've missed the whole thing. You've missed mercy. You've missed justice. You've missed all the big stuff. And you're worrying about little teeny tiny things. You've missed it. For the most part, they rejected Christ too, with a few exceptions. The next group is the Peters, and we're all like the Apostle Peter in some ways at times. Things are going good, we feel good, we feel connected to God, all this stuff, and then Jesus says, you know, I'm gonna go to the cross. He says, I'm gonna die with you. I'm, I'm there, I got it, I got this thing. And we kind of don't, have a connection to really what's happening. And we rely upon ourselves to get through. And we don't realize that only God is our salvation. Every time we rely upon ourselves, we will fall short. We will find ourselves missing out and being maybe even against the will of God in a circumstance. Peter repented and he got back on track, became the rock of the church and connected to the will of God. The last group of people I want to talk about are massive in the scriptures, and that's why they're in there. These are the people who in difficult times stay connected to God. And they are there as a picture for us today that whatever happens, riots, troubles, coronavirus, lockdowns, whatever happens, we can make it through. And we can come through with a cry that says, salvation belongs to our God. He made it. He, he brought us through. I'm just going to touch on three of them. One, Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a king in Israel. Babylon had come against them and even said nasty things, blasphemous things against God, reducing God to just another God. And Hezekiah, overwhelmed by the size of the army that was against him, went in and cried out to God. Twice he did. Prophet Isaiah comes to him and says, because you turned, I've seen this, and I will take care of you. And in one night, the scriptures record that 185,000 military men of the enemy outside the camp, or outside the city of Jerusalem, died. Salvation belongs to our God. He turned to God. He looked for his strength in God. You look at Daniel. Daniel is a prophet, a, a politician, a, um, an individual of great stature in Babylonian society. He is like second in command. And so there is squabbling within, amongst the politicians and the leaders. How can we get rid of this guy? They set up this rule, he can't pray. Da-da-da. Daniel ignores him. Daniel goes back to seeking his God like he had as a pattern set up in his life. 
Daniel stood. They threw him in a lion's den, and he came out alive. My God has shut the mouth of the lions. Salvation belongs to our God. He was connected to God. He was trusting him. In fact, if you read Daniel chapter 10, he says a prayer over Jerusalem that is exactly in connection with the heart of God and with the whole weight of the Old Testament, with the cries of Moses, with the cry of Abraham. Everything's there. He is intact. None of his faith is damaged. He is connected to the will and heart of God. He says, oh God, please, please resurrect Jerusalem. Bring it back to life as you promised, but not because we're righteous, but for your great name. He stayed connected to the heart of God and accomplished what God had for him in that generation. He could cry out, salvation belongs to our God. The last of these three is Jesus himself. Jesus, in his final days, faces the weight of what is before him. His disciples have fallen asleep. He feels alone, abandoned, maybe even felt distant from God in some ways. But he didn't stay away. He goes into the garden and he prays. He seeks the face of God in the time of his difficulty. And he says honestly, Father, if there is another way, let this pass me. But if not, let your will be done. And he connects again to the Father's will. He connects again to the Father's heart. He comes through and he brings about an act of salvation for the whole earth. And his heart can truly say in his last moments, forgive them, Father. That is connected to the will of God. Only God can save. Only God is our salvation. That is the unifying cry of the church. That is what will carry us through. Not relying on ourselves. Not looking at other places to solve our problems. Not looking to government or schools or anything else. God is our salvation and hope. So Pastor Jonathan brought up these things last week and for the last month or so during this lockdown that we need to pray. We need to worship God. We need to do the basic disciplines of the faith, spending time with him, praying. And these are never going to change. If people are looking for a trendy new way, it's not out there. Looking on, the YouTube, on YouTube for, for somebody else's voice isn't going to satisfy the needs of your soul. Looking out for everybody else's conspiracy theories won't do it. You won't find the answer for the end out there in the world. It's not out there. It is in the Father. The Father has the resources to pull us through. I met a, a man in Kazakhstan. He was, a, he was a missionary there. And he had gone through devastating loss. He'd gone there to set up a school for those with disabilities because the area of Kazakhstan didn't have anything for the blind or for the deaf or the, for the needy. He set up a whole school, raised funds, set up computers so kids could actually see and they could make images big enough that they could read in their own language. He set up house churches where he ministered to people and saw people saved. And then after a few years there, he came to work one day and found that his building had been completely ransacked. The computers were all gone, even though the whole community knew this was for the benefit of the, for the disabled. Everything he worked for was gone. And then a couple days later, he found out that the man that was supposedly helping him, the local, had taken the money for his visa 
to, to work it all out with the government. That was gone too. And then he realized he'd been completely betrayed, that even the breaking in of his offices had been arranged. He set it up. And so he's there with his family and four children, the work of years gone. And he's distraught. To hear the man, I cried for him, because I felt, oh my goodness, what a level of betrayal. And he said one day he turned to the Lord in the midst of it, and he read the most obscure voice, uh, the most obscure scripture that I wouldn't think would minister to a human soul. And the Lord spoke to his heart through the word. It says, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And you know that word revived this man's heart? It gave him the strength to rise up, that this is what Jesus walked through, and regardless of what things look like, salvation belongs to his God. He will see him through. But he was being led like a lamb to the slaughter. And that encouraged his heart. He is still on the mission field today with his family. God brought him through the most difficult time through a word from the scripture that connected with his heart. Our position that we must fight for is connecting with God, connecting with the heart of God. I want to tell you one thing that we haven't covered so much is the importance of fellowship in standing in difficult days. Even as the church shifts and changes and the government changes rules about meetings, as that comes out, our fellowship is important. Godly people pouring into your life is very important. In Acts, it mentions it. It was one of the main things people devoted themselves to when they became a Christian. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer and the apostles' teaching. It adds that in as an important element. I can't tell you how many times the words of others have helped connect me to God. I want to tell you a story as we close here. And it's a story that's told by Watchman Nee in a book called Against the Tide. Watchman Nee was a Chinese missionary, a theologian, uh, and a martyr eventually. And he would travel the countryside teaching the Chinese about faith. And he said that when he was in the country, he enjoyed it so much because the faith was so simple and the belief in God was just so real. And as he went to one village, he met a man who had been terribly treated by a neighbor. It was a terrible injustice. And the man explained to him that he lived on the side of a hill with terraced farming and he owned one level of that terrace. And he, he came to his terrace with his bucket of water from down in the stream one day and realized that the neighbor below him, somebody who he knew, had decided that he didn't want to do work that day, I guess. So he put a hole in the terrace wall and all the water in his rice, rice paddy dripped down into this other man's field, into his other terrace. And so this man's like, this is wrong. Not only do I have to repair my wall? But I have to now go fill the whole thing back up with water, up and down the hill, up and down the hill. And Watchman Nee just happened to be there that day and was there to pray with the man and speak with him and speak just encouragement to him and love upon him. And Watchman Nee checked back with the man a couple days later because he was really furious and really worked up. He was thinking about going to the law and to the authorities to get justice for himself. And Watchman Nee came back to the man 
And he tells this beautiful story. The man said, I went home and prayed. And I meditated on just the goodness of God. It just came to me how good God's been to me, that I haven't received justice. I've received mercy. And if I've received such tremendous mercy for my own sins and my own ways, how can I ask for justice for my neighbor? And in prayer, he connected to God and he received this idea of not only fixing his wall and filling it with water, but for a whole week, he went and filled up his neighbors, the one who was unjust to him, with water and filled up his rice paddy so that he didn't have to do it. Later on, the man recounted that his neighbor came, falling on his knees, knowing that he had been unjust to him, and said, why are you doing this? How can you do this? What are you doing? And it opened a door wide open for him to tell him about Jesus. And the man became a believer because of that. As we stay connected with God, as we take our position of trust, as we read the word, as we worship, as we pray, and as we fellowship, we can stay connected to the heart of God. We can say salvation belongs to our God, and we can see the good works that he will do through us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are bringing a church together that has a unified cry of salvation belongs to our God. Please, oh God, bring us through. Set our heart on you. Fix our eyes on you. In Jesus' name we pray. God bless you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.